Do you have a love for everything fabric? Do you sometimes keep your favorites for ages in your stash, not cutting them up because they're so precious? Well, today we'll dive into the story of art quilter Laura Wasilowski, and I'm 100% sure we'll be talking about how her hand-dyed fabrics retain that gorgeous color. If you love hand-dyed fabrics and threads, you'll love this episode. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories of teachers, speakers, artists, and everyday quilters to share their tips, tricks, adventures, and day-to-day life that will bring you more joy and less overwhelm in the quilting studio. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share with you this week's episode. So, here we go. I'm thrilled to have Laura Wazalowski on the show because, first of all, she's an art quilter after my own heart. And secondly, I've been following along with her books and inspiration for many, many years. I first saw her on Quilting Arts TV, and I can't get enough of her creativity and inspiring projects. She's an award-winning art quilter, author multiple times over, and a sought-after teacher and speaker. She has traveled the world doing what she loves, and I can't wait to share her story with you. Laura Wazalowski, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. So I love to start off by taking a little look back. So can you start by telling us a bit about your quilting story? How'd you get started? Well, I started out as a child, like many of you. I learned how to sew in a 4-H program in Colorado. So I learned how to sew garments. Later on, I went away to college, and because I knew how to sew garments, I was placed in a work-study program at the university, and I worked in the costume shop there. And I worked my way through school in that costume shop and ended up with a degree in costume design for the stage, which ended up being totally useless. (laughs) Yeah, but one of the skills I learned in that costume shop was how to dye fabric for costumes. So soon after that, I started a small dye shop where I would work in the house and I would print and dye and um, do other surface design techniques to fabric and then take that fabric and turn it into clothing. And I would sell those jackets or or blouses or whatever I was making, sell them in boutiques. And then my husband and I moved to Elgin, Illinois. That's where I live now. And I opened my studio in the basement. And my next door neighbor, we became very good friends. And her name is Janet Dye. And Janet became a good friend. And she introduced me to the world of quilt making. Uh And soon after that, after going to different shows with her and seeing different exhibits, I realized I could take all those fabrics I had been making for clothing and I could make something called an art quilt. So I started making pieced quilts, and I was never very good at that. But I learned about a a process called fusing. And once I learned about fusing, that using that dry glue to construct designs, then things just opened wide open for me, and I became a fuser, and I made fused art quilts. And that process, that technique, allowed me to make pictorial artwork, which is what I really like. And it allowed me to improvise and make things up as I went along. 
and it wasn't as restrictive as piecing. So I owe it all to several friends along the way, including Janet, who is no longer my neighbor. She's moved away, but we're still good friends. And throughout that whole history of starting out in the 4-H club and to where I am now, I relied upon so many friends along the way that helped me and taught me and inspired me. Oh, and that's such a unique story. And it's very creative along the entire path, right? Yeah. You've told us a little bit about some of the types of quilting you've tried along the way, but how did you gravitate so much towards all this amazing stitching that you do? Well, again, as a child, I learned how to do hand embroidery. My mother gave me tea towels and taught me the basic embroidery stitches. Later on in college, again, it was that era when you would add hand embroidery to your clothing. So I did it. And then later, even further on, I started a small business called Art Fabric with a friend, Melody Johnson. And we would set up a booth in quilt shows, at quilt shows. I don't know if you've been a vendor, you know that it's very boring during those (laughs) times when there's nobody in the booth. People are off at classes or lunch or something. So I had to have some handwork, something I could pick up and put down while I was in the booth, but still keep busy. So I started adding hand embroidery to small swatches of fabric and started doing sort of freeform embroidery. I didn't use a pattern. I was playing with the threads, which I was also selling in the booth, and just playing with different stitchery, combining stitches. And so that evolved into using the embroidery on the art quilts. And slowly over the years, I've added even more embroidery to those art quilts. And now I'm also doing freeform embroideries on felt and on wool that have nothing to do with fusing. I just play with the thread on those fabrics. Yeah, that sounds so fun. And it must have been such a great selling feature back then in the booth. I bet you had a crowd of women around you wanting to buy the thread. (laughs) (laughs) The threads I make are very colorful. Initially, people didn't quite know what to do with them. But I think what has happened over the years is hand embroidery has become so much It's so popular now because people want to work with their hands. They want to make things. And hand embroidery is a a way to play with fabric and thread and color and texture and pattern. And it's easy to do. And many of us remember from our childhood how to make those basic stitches like, you know, lazy daisies and French knots and all those basic embroidery stitches. Yeah, and it's so nice to pick up sort of a variegated, maybe rainbow thread. And mm-hmm. as you stitch it out, it's like a surprise what happens on the canvas, right? Or on the on the art quilt. Yes. So we always like to know whether your quilting professional business is kind of a side gig. After college, did you have another career? And did you make a transition to being a quilt professional? How did that go? I had a very brief career at working as a secretary. I think maybe I should probably stick to textiles. <laughs> we had married right after school, my husband and I, and had little kids. So it was easier for me to work from home. So I started my printing and dyeing business at home so I could be with them before and after school. And we were very fortunate. My husband was able to support us through that. So I didn't really have to work outside of the home. But what eventually happened was, as my children got older, I started traveling more. Again, a local lady who runs ran an art center, creative art center called The Fine Line, hired me 
to teach. My very first class was taught at her creative arts center. She had seen something I made and asked me to teach. So that was my first job as a teacher outside of the home. And then I slowly built up that business of being a teacher for art quilts. And the rest is history, I guess. And so where have you lived in the world? Has it always been near the Chicago area? I was born in Colorado when I was older. My parents bought a farm in Minnesota. So I lived on the farm for a few years and then went away to school there. After we married, we ended up living in Illinois in the Chicago area. So I've been here a long time, 38, 40 years. Oh, that's great. And I absolutely love asking this question because I have a lecture called Studio Magnificent. So I'm always talking about studios. But what kind of studio do you have? Tell us all about your studio. Well, my studio is in the basement of our home. And it's always been in the basement of our home. And right now, where I am is the laundry room, also the dye room, also the quilt making room, also my (laughs) office. Also, I'm filming right now. I'm filming online classes. So all of this is taking place in this one room here. Next to this room is what I would call the sewing room. And the sewing room is where I store the quilts and where my machine is. There's a higher table there, and I often make um, small fused quilts in that room. And I use that one of the walls for photography. Well, it sounds like you have a really great system, and you're able to maximize your space, right? Yes. I'm very fortunate, again, that I have this space and that everything kind of fits together like a puzzle. It's congested, let's (laughs) face it. But I know where everything is. I recently remodeled this dye studio. I call it the dye studio. It's the laundry room. And I put in new flooring and painted the walls and I have new lighting. And it just really uh, just brightened everything up. It's wonderful. I have a new table. After 35 years of having the studio down here, I finally remodeled. Oh, that's good. (laughs) You deserve that, right? Thank you. (laughs) So over the years, how have you balanced family and your quilting business? That's a good question. I think I had the support of my family, for one thing. I had generous friends who helped me out. There were times when it was difficult, you know, when you have younger kids to make sure they're cared for, but you have to get your work done. So there there were stressful times then. But now I'm more focused on leisure. (laughs) So (laughs) I make sure I've, I've learned how to fit in the work here and there. And on occasion, when I was traveling and teaching, I would make sure that I had maybe an extra day or two, some way to get to know the area or the people around there or visit with friends and family. So you have to be aware, you have to balance things. You want to make sure that you take care of yourself and your family, but you also want to make sure you advance your work in a sensible way and don't overdo it. And another one, one more thing. You have to be able to say no to people. No, I can't do that. No, I'm unable or I'm sorry. I'm unavailable right now. Yeah, that's so important. Otherwise, you're up till four in the morning pulling an all-nighter, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Good advice. So I was watching a textile talk you did for Studio Art Quilt Associates, and someone asked you the best question. Have you ever had any accidents with your dyeing and your family's laundry? What was your answer to that? (laughs) I would deny anything. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Yes, we've had a few accidents where I get dye on some of the clothing once in a while. 
but I try to be very clean. And they're aware of, you know, it's a dye room. It's They can come down and wash their clothes if they want to, but primarily it's a workshop. So, yeah, a few few things <laughs> once in a while. So do you enter your art quilts in shows or feature them in galleries? Have there been any highlights over your career? I have entered in shows. I'm a frequent enterer. The International Quilt Festival in Houston. I try to always have a quilt in there if I can. And it's usually a smaller quilt. I, I like entering the art miniature category. I've been in galleries, of course. I'm a member of SACUS, S-A-Q-A, SACWA, mm -hmm. and Studio Art Quilt Alliance and Associates. And I enter their gallery shows as frequently as I can. If I have something that works or I want to make something for that specific show. I do show in galleries, uh, local galleries on occasion. You uh -huh. do have a beautiful gallery on your website as well. But have there been any highlights along the way? Have you won an award or something? I have won awards. I've won an awards at the show in Paducah and Houston and some of the other shows. I think maybe the highlight for me was having an exhibit in Japan. I was invited over with my friend Melody and Quilt Nihon sponsored our travel. And we exhibited in Tokyo. It was amazing oh, I to bet. have your artwork hanging up across the world. So I also exhibited in Spain. I've been an artist there. My goal isn't so much to make art for exhibit. I usually make art for myself. I'm kind of selfish that way. I, I like the process of making artwork. I like yeah. getting involved and getting into that zone where you just lose yourself. And then if something results that's exhibit worthy, that's great. But yeah. And you know, I bet you might call that selfish, but I would say you probably really mean self-fulfilling, right? Because mm -hmm. it just makes you whole when you're creating something that you love. That's a better way to put it. Yes. Yeah. Self-fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. Like so I'd love to hear a little bit about some of your travels teaching. So which were your favorite destinations to teach at over the years? I think my favorite destination was Spain. And there was an annual show in Siche, Spain, and I was invited to be an artist there in residence. I taught a few days and then I had an exhibit in this wonderful old building. It's a beautiful little city and Spain is wonderful. The people are so warm and friendly. I really enjoyed that. I've taught in Great Britain at the festival there and really had a great time. So it's so quilters are a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. And they always make sure you have fun too. So that was exciting. And I taught in Japan as well. That was neat. A lot of the teaching that I've done in Canada and the United States is for quilt guilds or sometimes symposiums. Mm -hmm. And what I like about that is I usually travel to a place I've never been before, and I get to know the area and the people, and I see something new, and I learn about those different locations, something I would have never had an opportunity to do before traveling there as a quilting teacher. Yeah, it's so nice to see how the quilts differ from country to country and area to area. That's true. So looking back over your art quilting career, was there kind of a defining moment when you really started thinking early on, I can do this. This might actually be my career path. There are probably several defining moments along the way. I think 
early on, I had a mentor, one of my teachers. I was complaining. I was saying, you know, I have these kids and I have a husband and I'm trying to run a household and I just can't do anything. I can't get anything done. And she said to me something like this. She said, you know, you have to decide, are you going to make art or not? Are you going to be pursuing this or not? And if you are, then it has to become one of your priorities. And for me, just having her tell me that kind of gave me permission to, yes, call myself an artist and pursue that. And that was a turning point for me. There are other turning points, like when I discovered that I could dye thread. That was a major, <laughs> major, whoa, what happened it here? saves you a lot of money when you're doing it yourself, right? Yes, exactly. And I could come up with colors and, and gradations that I like. So that was a major turning point. And that was such great advice she gave you. And it kind of leads us into the next question. So Mm -hmm. in your quilting world, what brings you the most joy? The making of the artwork. Yeah. It's again, like I said before, you lose yourself. You go into the zone where you're having a conversation with the fabric or the thread and everything else disappears. Mm-hmm. And it challenges you, you know, you have this, you're constantly making decisions when you make art. Do I use this color or this color? Do I cut this shape? Do I stitch here or not? And it engages you so much. That's what I enjoy the most. I don't need to pre-design anything. You know, I don't need to sketch or do it that way. The improvisation, the working hands-on with the fabric and thread, that's what makes me the happiest. Yeah, when you get right into that zone and the hours just disappear. Exactly. That's great. And so, is there one quilting mentor who really made a difference for you? I would have to say, well, there are several. (laughs) Early on, when I was first starting this, I belonged to a group that was called the Professional Art Quilt Alliance. It's a local group. We had just started it here in the Chicago area. And one of our members was Carol Breyer Fallert. Gentry. And, you know, she, at the time, everybody, she amazed everybody by what she was making. She still does amaze everybody by what she makes. And she joined our group because she lived at the time in our neighborhood. And she was this pioneer in the art quilt world. And she had so much knowledge. And she was so willing to share that. She was very generous with her information. And she encouraged us. She taught the whole group how to get a teaching job, how to write a contract, how to make patterns, how to sell product. She influenced so many people at that time. And our group grew because of that. We all learned from each other. We learned from her and each other. So I would have to say Carol's probably one of the very first teachers I had or, or mentors that I had that really helped me and many other people along the way. Yeah, that's so great. And she probably created her own little rat pack of amazing art quilters that went off into the world everywhere, right? <laughs> I don't know. It could be, yeah. But we were all really grateful for her generosity. I know that. Oh, that's so great. So right now we're going to take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about all of Laura's books, including her latest one called Playful Freeform Embroidery. And we're also going to talk about hand-dyed fabric. 
Northcott Fabrics are famous stick quilters for their Stonehenge and O Canada collections. Right here on this podcast, we give away fabric from Northcott Collections, Banyan Batiks, and Figo Fabrics. Look for all of these at your local quilt shop. Northcott, cottons that feel like silk. So Laura, let's talk about your books. You now have a few books. I just want to hear about them all. So just jump right into it. I think I have four books published now by CNT Publishing, the best publisher in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I really like working with them. First off, the books have great color. I love color. I'm all about color. And it was very easy to work with their editors. So I have, I think, three books on fusing. And my fourth book is called Joyful Stitching, and that's all hand embroidery. And I have a new book coming out from CNT Publishing called Playful Freeform Embroidery that's out now. And it is the brand new one with six projects that are hand stitched, freeform embroidery stitched on felt and on wool. And I'm really excited about this one. This is a fun one. They're all fun. Yeah, it sounds like so much fun, like just to sit and relax in the evening or whatever and do all the stitching to stitch to your heart's desire, right? You talked about how much you love CNT. So let's just go into what was it like to create your very first book? How did that come about? Must have been a thrill to get on board with them. (laughs) My very first book, I spent a lot of time planning it out and writing and rewriting. And it was very good for me to do this because it made me put into words what I was doing. I had to be able to explain it in the written word. Now, I had been teaching for a while. And for me, talking how to do something was fairly easy. But to write it out and to plan it out in terms of projects and in terms of images was a whole different world. So that first book, it took a while. It took quite a while. But they accepted the proposal. And then I, of course, went on and did the different drafts. And they helped me along the way. The next books after that were much easier because I had sort of an outline, a -hmm. process for working through this. The most difficult part for me for writing a book is the part where I have to actually make the project Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you have to make it in stages. And especially with the embroidery books, you have to make stage one through, let's say, 35. So I will have little bits of fabric here and there and here and there. You have to have enough step outs for them to photograph stage one, stage three, stage eight, you know, on and on like that. So I'm actually making the hand embroideries several times, many times to get it to the final design and the final image. Was it a big jump from going from the fusing books to the hand embroidery? Or could you use a similar outline and just the different techniques? I use a similar process, let's put it that way. But the embroidery books are more I would say, more labor-intensive for me. Stitching takes a while. Hand embroidery takes time. And I enjoy it, but it's not as fast as fusing is. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and have you sort of enjoyed a little bit of recent success? Because we're hearing everywhere that slow stitching is the big movement. And did you find that there was a little more interest in it when that came about? I think so. I think people are enjoying the process of... Uh, working with their hands, making smaller items, not giant quilts. They like working with fabrics that are a little bit maybe easier to work on, like felt or, or wool. I don't know. Yeah, there is a resurgence 
gifts in hand embroidery. And I'm glad because mm-hmm. it's a great art form. It's a great way to express yourself and play with fabric and thread. It's a good art form. Everybody should oh, yeah. be an embroiderer. How's that? Yeah, and it's an incredible way for people to calm their minds, especially in this crazy world we're living in. Yeah. So tell us about Art Fabric, the store, and the products that you have. I want to hear about all about the fabric you have in there and the hand-dyed threads. Tell us about uh-huh. that. Well, Art Fabric is me. I'm the only one here. Art Fabric, I, hand-dye, <laughs> fabric, and pearl cotton threads. And the threads, I think there are 64 or 65 different colorways, sequences of colors, how I paint the thread The fabric, I've sort of diminished that. I find that thread is a lot more popular. And because I'm not traveling and teaching, I don't have an opportunity to sell as much fabric as I did before. So I've cut back on the colorways for the fabric. I usually dye cotton fabric. Occasionally, I dye silk. The thread is all 100% pearl cotton threads. And they come in different sizes, sizes 5, 8, and 12 pearl cotton because those are the sizes I work with when I make my artwork. Yeah, so. and they're, they're gorgeous, just looking at them on the website. And you have over 20 different stitch kits. So tell us about those. Oh, yes. So I love making small hand embroidered or uh, small pieces of artwork. So as I'm making them, I try to record what I'm doing. You know, I'll take a photo, I'll write out the instructions, and then... Often, I will put that on on my website as a free tutorial. So there are several free tutorials online on my website. And each tutorial has a stitch kit because not everybody has the fabric that they need or the thread colors they need. So there's usually a link in the tutorial to a kit, a stitch kit, where you can buy the fabric, the felt or the silk or the whatever it is, cotton fabric, and the different threads that I'm working with in the project so the stitch kits are there for you know to help you out if you don't have what you need on hand yeah that's great and they're Mm -hmm. just it's like when you look through the website it's like looking at eye candy the colors are so beautiful and (laughs) you just want to buy them all so to some quilters hand dyeing fabric is a complete unknown so can you give us a beginner's walkthrough of the dyeing process yes i'd be happy to I learned to dye a long time ago, and the way I learned to dye was that you measured everything. You weighed the fabric, you measured the water, you weighed the dye powder, so you can get repeatable color. So I've always stuck with that since I was, you know, young and and foolish. But I learned how to dye using a product called Procyon MX Fiber Reactive Dyes, and they come as a powder. And what you do is you take that powder, you weigh it, and you put it into, I use a blender. I put the powder in the water in a blender and mix it in a blender. I think my formula for the dye, the dye stock that I'm making is I'll weigh out 30 grams of dye powder and I'll put it in a thousand mils of water. Mix it up in a blender, put it in a, usually in an orange juice bottle. (laughs) former orange juice bottle. And that's my dye stock. That's the color that I'm going to be working with. I use maybe maybe 10 different dyes, 
10 different colors, Procyon MX Fiber Reactive Dyes. After I mix a dye stock, then I can use that stock, that dye, right out of the bottle, or I can water it down to make more pastel colors. So, if I were dyeing fabric, I would take the cotton fabric and I would cut it into a length, one yard to three yards, something like that. And then I pre-soak the fabric in a blend of water and soda ash or sodium carbonate. The sodium carbonate, the soda ash is the mordant. That's what makes the fiber molecule and the dye molecule link up mm-hmm. so that you get this fiber active dye interaction. So I pre-soak the fabric in that water with soda ash, take it out, and then I put that fabric, arrange it in a container somehow, a plastic box, plastic shoe box, or anything larger than that. Arrange it, and then I take the dye stock, and I pour the dye colors on that fabric. So what I'm doing is called direct application. Mm-hmm. It's not immersion dye. And I pour it on in sequence. I'll pour those colors on in sequence, whatever colorway I'm dyeing that day. Or sometimes I do random acts of dyeing. And then the fabric has time to react with the dye. Those little molecules link up. And then in a day or so, I can wash them out. And I wash them in my washing machine, the family washing machine. And then I have hand-dyed fabric. So that's that's how I do fabric. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. And do you ever stray away and just go crazy and do a bunch of low immersion or ice dyeing or anything? Or you're pretty set in your way? I've never done ice dyeing. I'm pretty much set in my way. (laughs) That's good. If it works, why not, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And the thread is a different process. It's taking the pre-soaking the thread in that same liquid, that uh, soda ash uh, water, laying it on a tray and painting the colors on in Mm -hmm. a sequence, whatever the colorway is I'm working with. And those have to be, they cannot be put in the washing machine to wash. (laughs) I bundle them up and I have to wash them by hand. Okay. That takes a while. That's a long process, making dyeing the thread. What I usually do is I'll dye fabric and then when I wash out the fabric, I'll also wash the thread because I'll use the water that's coming out of the washing machine. Mm-hmm. And it com- as it comes out, I collect the water and in buckets and use that water to wash out my threads. Yeah. Oh, that's a great way to save water. So you can probably get pretty consistent colorways, but every fabric yardage is really one of a kind, right? And then you put them up on the website as they're ready to go. Yes. And it's the same with thread. Every colorway... You know, I have a, a specific formula for those colorways, but the dye travels differently on a size 12 thread than it does on a size 5 thread. So they may have the same color sequence, but when you look at them next to each other, they look a little different because of the weight of the thread. Mm-hmm. And how on earth do you dye threads without them getting all tangled up? Well, you hand wash them. You have to hand wash mm-hmm. them. Everything's done by hand. They hang up on a hanger <laughs> to dry out once the water runs clear when you're washing them out. I think if I were to do a, a one color way of thread, it would take two weeks for it to be complete. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, And I want to get a little bit into surface design because I know you mm-hmm. like to do a little bit of that. And I heard you talking about it in the SACWA question when they were asking you from SACWA. So what are your favorite types of surface design? Well, I like stamping a lot. I haven't done it recently because I just don't have the, I ran out of ink, okay? (laughs) But I like stamping a lot. I like carving the stamps. I have hundreds of hand-carved stamps that I've worked with. 
and mono printing is fun. I like that kind of adding that texture to the surface. I've never got into silkscreen. I have done it, but I've never really enjoyed it that much. I do like painting the fabric, thickening the dyes and painting with the dyes. That's fun. Mm-hmm. I think in the last few years, though, I've kind of got backed away from that a little bit because I have this kind of production line going where I'm dyeing fabric for art fabric or thread for art fabric. And I still keep the drop cloths. That I yes, use. that's right. Tell us about the drop cloth paintbrush quilts. Oh, well, those began because when I dye or I was stamping or doing silk screen work, I would lay fabric down, you know, so it didn't soak through. They became really uh, wonderful. <laughs> and I started noticing the patterning and this overprinting that was taking place on the drop cloths. So I would change them out every once in a while. I'd put down a new one and start over. And if I dripped dye on it, it didn't matter. If I was testing out a stamp on it, didn't matter because I knew eventually I could use those in some way. So they became part of a series called the Painting the Town series. <laughs> and that was the quilt that's in the the Sakwa exhibit called, I think it's Painting the Town Number One. I don't know which one it is. They were all inspired by those drop cloths. So now I hoard them and <laughs> I have a whole stack of them. Think what you can do with that kind of stuff. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And you actually have a whole series of small and large art pieces for sale on the website. So tell us what we can see there if we go check those out. The most up-to-date ones are the smaller pieces. They're usually fused art quilts, and they, I don't know, they range in size from maybe 12 by 12 up to 20 by 20, something like that. They're all pretty small. They're colorful. They're whimsical. They're uh, in the style that I work. And I occasionally will take one off and add something to it. So <laughs> in the past, I've taken taken one off the site and then added a bird because everything's better with a bird on it and then put it back <laughs> on the site. So I like adding things after the fact later on. And you can do that with that fusing technique. So yeah, and I love the bird on the cover of your first stitch book. So what was that book called? That was called Joyful Stitching. Yeah, I love that. And one. yeah, Joyful Stitching shows you three different methods of transferring a a design to wool or felt or silk and then doing freeform stitching on them. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So 2020 and 2021 now have kind of been a crazy year, year and a half for everyone. So how has your world shifted over the pandemic? Well, the big change, of course, is that I'm not traveling and teaching anymore. A lot of the gigs were canceled, which is fine. It's very understandable. I ended up being very happy to be at home. (laughs) It gave me the opportunity to finish up that book I had started, Playful Freeform Embroidery, and I wasn't as pressed for time. It also gave me a chance to work in my garden. My garden had been, let's say, abused for a long time, but it came back to life, and I'm really happy gardening. I miss my friends. I miss my teaching friends that I saw, I miss seeing the students and seeing new parts of the country. So that has changed. I miss seeing my family. My grandchildren are Canadian and I can't get across the border. I wasn't able to get across the border. So that was kind of sad. We, you know, we see them on Zoom, but it's just not the same. Yeah. So I miss my family. I miss my friends. But on the other hand, it's a way to, to slow down take stock of what I have and enjoy what I do have. 
So Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. And speaking of Zoom, you're not teaching on Zoom, but you do have classes you offer on your website and you're also filming some for Creative Spark Online. So tell us about yeah. what's on your website and what you're doing with the filming in the background. Well, all of the classes I am teaching are online with Creative Spark. Okay. Creative Spark is CNT Publishing's platform for online classes, and they have a, a wide variety. Right now, I think I, I don't know how many I have up there, four or five. Some of them are fusing classes, how to make fused art quilts. Others are hand embroidery. I have a stitch library on oh. Creative Spark, and I show you how to make different embroidery stitches, whether you're right-handed or left-handed. Oh, my goodness. Right that must have been a challenge to do that yourself, to show everyone. Well, I'll give you a little secret. Okay. <laughs> you flip the video. Oh, good. Good. And you never say the word left or right when ah. you're when you're talking about what you're doing. <laughs> That's a very good secret little tip. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can do some stitches left-handed, but I am a right-handed stitcher. Creative Spark has all these wonderful classes, and some of mine are free. You can go on and take a few free classes to see what they're like. Mine are, I don't know how many hours long, but I also am able to answer questions through creative, the Creative Spark platform. And there's a lot of extras. In my case, what they've done is, I think for like, for an example, Little Bird and Daisies, they're also giving, if you sign up for the class, they give you an ebook, one of my books as an ebook, which oh. is amazing to me that they're just willing to. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like working with them. And again, I think online for me, taking classes online, I enjoy it. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. I can stop it and start it and stop it and start it. And what I've found in filming these classes is that I give the student a lot more information in an online class than I do in an in-person class. Because I have to think of all those questions that a, a live student would ask me. And I make sure everything is inserted in that online class. So it's more thorough. The online classes are more thorough. Yeah. And that's one thing I've noticed. Obviously, online classes have exploded over the pandemic. But when I just go to my regular Quilt Guild meeting on Zoom... I'm so delighted by the quilters that say, oh, I took this class and I took that class. And they're just having yeah. so much fun, right? And so if they want to take that class and get the free ebook or, you know, any of your creative classes, do they find them on your website or on the CNT website? Well, you can always go to the CNT website and look for Creative Spark. And you'll okay. see not only my classes, but a lot of other classes. Or you can go to the Art Fabric website, my website. And at the top, there's a menu that says Workshops. And then you'll see my listing of the classes that I teach on Creative Spark. And the Creative Spark classes also, if you want, you can purchase a kit for those as well. A right. stitch kit. Yeah. Okay. And Art Fabric is spelled art with a F A B R I K dot com, right? Yes. We were okay. thought we were really smart. A R <laughs> F A B R I K dot com. Yeah. Should have gone the other way, but no. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's memorable. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Okay. So let's move into your lectures. We know that you did the textile talk with Sakwa, but what about lectures? What kind of lectures do you do? Occasionally, I'll do a Zoom lecture for a guild. I like doing lectures in person. Those aren't going to happen. I'm sorry. So Zoom lectures work okay. I think the best way to learn from me is to take an online class. 
because mm-hmm. I give you a lot of information there. And I enjoy being on podcasts. Like oh, this. great. <laughs> and after all of this work with your, mm-hmm. your art quilt business, are you actually finding time to quilt for yourself and get your own private creative time? Yes. And that was one of the benefits of the pandemic was I actually made a bed quilt for myself. It's the first time in about 40 years. <laughs> oh, wow. And I was just stitching along. It was all wonky and crazy. And the, the poor woman that ended up doing the long arm quilting for me must have thought I was. <laughs> but it, it's a wonderful quilt. And I love sleeping under it. And I want to make more of those. Oh, good. So, yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of that, what's on your design wall right now? On my design wall right now are small art quilts, and I'm making them as part of an online class. So as I make them, I film what I'm doing step by step. So these are small fused art quilts, and they're based on classes that I taught live. So one of them is Tiny Homes class. I'm doing the Zen Doodle Quilts class, and I think I'm doing the Hand of Fortune, which is an embroidery class. When I went out and taught, those were the types of classes I would teach. So now I'm filming them, and that's what's happening. Oh, that's great. So those are going to be on Creative Spark as well. Yes. Okay, great. So now is the time for the lightning round robin. So this is a series of rapid fire questions just for fun to get to know you a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So, Laura, are you ready? Oh, I'll, I'll try my best. Okay. Who would you like to meet in the wild world of quilting? In the wide world of quilting, I would like to meet up with... This is really hard. I know. Do they have to still be alive? No. <laughs> okay, good. This sounds crazy, but I'd like to meet up with the very first person that decided that you could put two pieces of fabric together and <laughs> stitch them together and add decorative features to that so it would be some you know thousands of years ago person how's that (laughs) that's great and what is your favorite notion my favorite notion right now is a thimble I really I'm doing a lot of handwork and I need a thimble another favorite notion however is a decorative rotary cutter blade a pinking blade I like that because I can Cut out, sh- cut out my fabric and I have a pinked edge and then I could put a fly stitch around that pinked ed- edge while wearing a thimble. Oh, that, I think I saw that on your website for sale under Notions. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And what color do you choose most often when quilting? I like turquoise blue, bright blue. Yeah. I thought maybe you'd say rainbow, but blue, yeah, blue's, <laughs> a, close, blue's a close second. Okay, no, blue's yeah. first for you. That's awesome. So what is your favorite snack? Oh, my goodness. Potato chips. Don't tell anybody. I love potato (laughs) chips, too, but I like the mix of potato and chocolate and the sweet and salty together. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. No, I I like the salty, crunchy. I like salty, crunchy things. Yes. That sounds good. Have Uh, you ever been recognized in public? Yes, I have a few times, and it's always startling. (laughs) Is it embarrassing? (laughs) It startles me, and then it kind of embarrasses me, but it, you know, it's kind of flattering Mm -hmm. to be recognized in public. By someone, a stranger saying, are you so-and-so? Yeah. Yeah, I bet. It's like, are you kidding me right now? I'm a regular person, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's great. So we've mentioned your website and you can find it at artfabric.com, fabric with a K, where we can see everything that's going on in your world. But where's the best place for quilters to engage with you on social media? 
Well, probably my blog. Most of my information is on the blog, which is the, the front cover, the front page of the website. And if I have anything new going on, it goes on the blog or I'm showing a new technique or going through the process of making something, it ends up on the blog. I also participate in Instagram and that goes directly to Facebook, but Mm -hmm. I'm not as active on those platforms as I am on the blog. Yeah, no, I love your blog. You're really active on there and you have such great information. I recently read one post you did all about needles you use for your hand embroidery and what the numbers on the needle package mean and everything. It's great information. So give us an idea of the different types of posts we'll see when we go to your blog. Well, occasionally I'm giving away things. So to promote a new class or a new book, I'll have a series of giveaways. So every week I'll give away something that pertains to that class or that book. I also like to do posts that instruct people how to do something. And then I also like posts that show the process, the step-by-step process of when I'm making something. So I show, you know, from stage one through the final process for that project. Yeah, and you can find that blog again at artfabric.com. The homepage is actually the blog, and then there's all kinds of tabs for workshops, lectures, the store, your portfolio. Now, I was on there recently, and I saw the Chicago School of Fusing. So, what's that all about? Oh, yes, the Chicago School of Fusing. (laughs) I should tell you right up front, it's an imaginary school. (laughs) Okay. And it was begun many years ago. I have a friend, Robbie Eplow. Maybe you know her. She's a quilter. She had been somewhere and visiting with another quilter named David Walker. And Robbie lived in the Chicago area. And and David said to her, what is up? What's going on with all those quilters in the Chicago area? They're they're using this stuff called fusible web. (laughs) It was back in the early 90s or something. And Robbie, who is very witty, said to him, well, it's just like the Chicago School of Architecture, only we're the Chicago School of Fusing. <laughs> so she came up with it, came up with it, I adopted it, and I ran with it. I thought it was hilarious. And there were a lot of people at the time, it was kind of a new method, a new technique technique of making art quilts and I thought it was hilarious I became the dean of corrections <laughs> I started making artwork that showed the campus and the, the Rowenta sports arena and I incorporated it into my lectures and it was it's so much fun even on, on the website there's a history of the school of course and you can even <laughs> print out a diploma from the school if you oh, want. That's so, so great. Yeah. So, I, you know, usually when I'm talking to a guest, I'll mention the website a few times. But I really, as a listener of this podcast, I really encourage you to go to this website because Laura has over 30 free tutorials on her website. There's so much value there. So what kind of tidbits are we going to find in those tutorials? Well, there are tutorials on making different art quilts, fused art quilts. There are tutorials on binding there are tutorials on freeform embroidery, working with wool or working with felt. There are tutorials on different hand embroidery stitches where I show the image and then describe how they're done. Tutorials on how to load a decorative blade on your <laughs> rotary yeah, cutter, which great. is a challenge sometimes. We need that. We need that yeah. for sure. And I think there may be a link to what size needle goes with what size thread when you're doing hand embroidery. 
So yeah, yeah. there's so much value there. I have a feeling that the listeners of this podcast are going to fall in love with you just as much as I have. So let's talk a little bit about this week's prize. So this week's prize is so good. Laura Wazalowski is giving away some beautiful hand dyed pearl cotton threads in size five that she made with her own hands. They are gorgeous. You do not want to miss out on this giveaway. Thank you so much, Laura. That is such a generous prize. You're welcome. Happy to do it. Now, Laura, as we wrap up, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? I'd like them to remember that this art form is a wonderful way to express yourself, a wonderful way to connect with other people. And, you know, a way to make things for family or friends or yourself. But most importantly, enjoy what you're doing. I just can't tell people enough. Being a maker, creating things is so self-fulfilling. And it's so good for you. It's really good for you to be a creator, to make things. Yeah, so important to do what you love. So that's such a great message to end with. So thank you so much, Laura. I really loved having you on the show. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. I had a great time. So that was my show with Laura Wazalowski, art quilt maker, designer, author at artfabric.com. I'm always so inspired by all of my guests, but you all know I'm an art quilter. So this was like podcast gold for me. I hope you gleaned a few creative ideas to take your quilting outside the box into the artsy side of things. If you haven't checked out Laura's website just yet, my favorite part is that she has over 20 perfect little hand projects for stitching away in the evening with a cup of tea and for giving at Christmas time. Her art quilt designs are contemporary, bright, and fun. And today, I really enjoyed sharing her story with you. Now, are you loving this podcast? Take a moment right now to think of a friend who might love it too. I would be so thrilled if you would share this podcast or write a review on your podcast app. The kindest thing you can do to support a creator is to introduce them to your friends. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.